Welcome to Bitcoin Sermons, the podcast that preaches how Bitcoin is connected to the coming of Jesus. It's a fascinating topic, and I think it's like the elephant in the room that not many are really talking about, even though it's so obvious. Well, whether you're a Bitcoiner or a Christian or both, this podcast has something for you. The coming of Jesus and the people of God entering heaven is illustrated in the history of the children of Israel entering the land of Canaan. But their entrance into the land of Canaan was not a trivial ordeal. First of all, after they left the land of slavery, the land of Egypt, they passed through the wilderness. And in the wilderness, they received the law of the Ten Commandments, which was to be the law of the new kingdom of Israel that would be established in the land of Canaan. Now, we've talked many times in this podcast about Bitcoin being the foundation, the monetary foundation of the kingdom of God here on earth. And in that sense, it is comparable, in a sense, to the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments also are called the covenant. And the reason for that is because the Ten Commandments describe the duty of the children of Israel or of mankind in order to fulfill his terms under the covenant. And what is the covenant? It is the promise of the land of Canaan in the case of ancient Israel, or for Christians in general, it's the promise of the heavenly Canaan. So let's just kind of recap that really quick. God promised to Abraham that he would give him the land which his feet walked upon, the land of Canaan. Then he renewed that promise with his son Isaac. And a third time, this promise was renewed with Jacob. And yet Jacob sojourned in a foreign land. He did eventually come back to Canaan. But in the end, Jacob and his whole family moved to Egypt during the famine in the time of Joseph. And aside from one parcel that Jacob had purchased, the promise that God would give the land of Canaan to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob was not fulfilled in their lifetime. It wasn't until after the 400 years of slavery that God brought Israel, the children of Israel, back out of the land of Egypt, delivered to them the covenant, which was a renewal of the very covenant that he had made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and began to actually bring them and give them the land that he had promised to their fathers. This is perhaps relevant history to review at such a time as this, where there is war in the land of Israel today. And it's important to understand that the reason and the way that God originally gave this land to Israel 
was very different than what's going on today in the world. We'll, we'll get into that maybe a little bit more. But first, let's understand very clearly the terms on which God gave Israel the land in the beginning. So when God makes a promise, when he makes a covenant, every covenant has two parties, and each of the parties has obligations under the covenant. So God making a promise to give the land of Canaan to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, his obligation under the covenant was to do that very thing, fulfill that promise, to actually give them the land. Well, this makes several assumptions. Okay, first of all, it assumes that God owns the land of Israel, the land of Canaan, to begin with. Now, anyone who believes in God and understands his power and his authority as the creator of this world can appreciate that he has that authority. It is his land to give. All the earth is his. Now, by contrast, does the United Nations have the authority to give a particular land to a particular people? No, because it is not their land. Unless, you, of course, you believe that the United Nations owns the world. I do not. Or that they somehow created it and, have, and therefore have authority over it. I do not believe that. So that was God's obligation under the covenant. But Israel also had an obligation under the covenant. And this obligation started with Abraham, and it started with faith. It started with the faith of Abraham. And secondly, the covenant with Abraham was renewed by God, and another obligation was explained to Abraham, the obligation of circumcision. And so Abraham and Isaac were both circumcised as part of their duty under the covenant, and that was to be kept for future generations as a sign of the covenant. That was their obligation. If they would not do it, that would show their negligence toward the covenant and ultimately their forfeiting of its benefits. If they would not do their obligation under the covenant, then God was also not obliged to do his obligation. The land of Canaan was promised to the descendants of Abraham, partly under the condition that they would circumcise themselves as a sign that they were the children of Abraham and the heirs of the promise. Then we come to Jacob, who, when he was fleeing from his brother Esau for having cheated him out of the birthright, God appeared to him in a dream and made a promise to him. He renewed the covenant. He made a promise to him to bring him back to the land of his fathers. And this was the story of Jacob's ladder, where he saw a ladder to heaven, which connects the covenant made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the broader promise of God to all Christians today to ultimately bring them into the heavenly Canaan, to bridge that gap between earth and heaven, and to make that way, that ladder by which one can reach heaven. And we understand that through the Gospels as being a figure for Jesus Christ, 
who described himself as the ladder to heaven, as the one who was the way of communication, of connection between earth and heaven. Particularly, this can be understood from his remarks to Nathaniel when Nathaniel was introduced to Jesus. I have a lot to share about that topic, but that's actually not the topic I want to talk about today. And so we're just going to kind of leave that right there. The topic for today is about this conquest of Canaan and how that relates to things that are happening that are changing our world right now as we speak. And so that's why I'm reviewing this journey that the children of Israel made from Egypt, from the house of bondage, into the land of Canaan. Now, in the financial sense, it should be very easy to understand how the whole world has come under bondage again. And basically, that slavery has come through the standard nine-to-five job. People, as a whole, have sold their time to others to do whatever those others ask during that time frame. And if that weren't slavery enough, because it does still offer some opportunities for freedom, the money that is rewarded for that time is in the complete control of the powers that be. It's not secure. It's not guaranteed. It can only be spent with the permission of the banking system. If it's held for a long period of time, it loses its value. Its value can be taken without notice and without request, without approval, taken by force through government powers, printing more money, and thus effectively levying an invisible tax on all the people. And this is regularly done by all the governments of the world today under various socialistic justifications. Oh, we need money to fight COVID. Oh, we need money to build whatever. Oh, we need money for this or that. And these decisions are made without the approval of the ones who are providing that money. This is a deep topic in and of itself that people need to understand today, how they have become slaves. So we are in this unique transition period where people are beginning to realize, first of all, that they are slaves. And we are also beginning to come out of that. Some people, anyway, are beginning to come out of that through, first of all, understanding the situation. And secondly, by taking advantage of the invention of Bitcoin, which as a monetary system corrects the ills of the traditional financial system. And we talk about that episode after episode, and there are many others talking about that in non-religious terms in other podcasts as well, how it is that Bitcoin corrects the financial system. So we won't go into that in detail now, but what I'm trying to do right now is make the comparison between where we're at in real life and where we're at in the sort of allegorical or prophetic comparison with the exit of the children of Israel from Egypt and their entrance into Canaan. We are at the point where by receiving Bitcoin as a system, the world is receiving a new law, a new financial law 
a new financial system that if they obey, if they honor, if they follow and respect its laws, it gives them the right to the promises of the covenant. Now, this is fascinating. So, Christians understand that the literal land of Canaan is not the ultimate promise that God intended for mankind. That was just for Abraham and his descendants. In fact, my brother preached a sermon last week that talked about this very topic. And in that message, he explained how the Bible, from beginning to end, gives the covenant in a series of steps, shall we say, increasing in scope. The first promise of salvation was given to Adam and Eve after they had sinned, in that God promised them a Savior who would crush the head of the serpent, who would be the seed of Eve. And we understand that to be Jesus Christ. But that was the first intimation of the covenant, so to speak, the first promise. And you can even see that inherent in that covenant was the notion of what Adam and Eve's obligation was under that covenant. Obviously, they had to have seed in order for that promise to be fulfilled. And they didn't know how many generations that would have to continue until the Savior would actually be born. I highly recommend his sermon, by the way, to those who want to understand this in more detail. But essentially, that was the first promise to Adam and Eve. And then the covenant was elaborated later through Noah, reiterated not just to a couple, but to a whole family, the father and his sons and all their wives. And then later, again, we come to the covenant with Abraham that we talked about, which was given not only to a couple and not only to a family, but to a tribe. So you see how the scope of the covenant is expanding as the plan of salvation unfolds through time. So the delivery of the Ten Commandments as the renewal of the covenant with the children of Israel was now more than just a tribe. They had become a nation, and so the scope had increased once more. Yet again, the covenant was renewed with King David, where the covenant was with an entire house, a kingdom. After the time of David came Jesus Christ, the Savior himself, who died for the sins of the whole world. So you really see how the scope of the covenant increases throughout the Bible. First, it was made with a couple, then with a family, then with a tribe, then with a nation, then with a kingdom, and then with the whole world. That's six different levels, but there's one more covenant spoken of in the Bible that wraps this all up, which makes the seventh in the sequence, and that is ultimately the covenant to bring the saved into heaven. That hasn't happened yet, but we are living in the unique time of the delivery of that covenant. And I just want to thank my brother for the message that he preached there. He called it Dedicating the Third Temple, and I highly recommend that. It's very fitting to the topics that we're talking about, but he goes into a lot more depth 
in those particular topics from a purely biblical point of view. But what I want to do here is to show how Bitcoin relates to that as part of the covenant, the law, the financial system that underpins God's covenant for us here on earth at this point in time as we are looking forward to entering the heavenly Canaan. We have really, really deep things to talk about today. Now, in this progression of the covenant, of its scope, starting with one couple and expanding all the way to the whole world with the renewal of the covenant through Jesus Christ, what comes after that? How far does the covenant reach when it is renewed with us again now? It reaches to the universe. God has other creatures on other planets, other worlds that we do not know, that we do not see. Beings in the spiritual realm who are far more intelligent than humanity, especially in its degraded condition. And the Bible speaks very much about God's intention for humanity in the context of the entire universe. And ultimately, it's about the topics we talked about in the last episode, about how God is bringing his people, uh, the humanity in particular, through this experience of sin and overcoming sin in order to develop kings. And this all ties into the concept of individual sovereignty that is central to Bitcoin and how it works, that by holding your own keys to your own wealth, which represents your own life force, your own realm, your kingdom, all that you accomplish in your life. Bitcoin makes you a king and a priest, as it says in the book of Revelation, that God has made us kings and priests, that we have become kings and priests unto God. Now, if humanity, if the redeemed become kings and priests unto God, the remnant in the book of Revelation, who are they kings and priests of? And we've already answered it. The next stage, the seventh stage, the completion of the covenant is when God's promise to the entire universe to restore harmony in the entire universe is accomplished. Now, just to review again, just to kind of recap and bring this together. Originally, God ruled the universe as an unquestioned monarch, and the universe was happy under his perfect rulership until Lucifer doubted that that was really the best way. He questioned, and he proposed a better way, a way that would be free from the law of God. And his proposal can be summarized in the law of Satan that we know now, which is do as thou wilt. But without being recognized for the evil that it was, he proposed this, he proposed reforms to the kingdom of God in heaven, and ultimately won a contingent of the angels to his point of view, angels who knew no better, knew no other, because they had never experienced the fruits, the results of a kingdom such as what Lucifer was proposing. 
where everyone acted in freedom from the law of God, without restraint, without restriction. This was supposed to provide greater happiness, but God knew best, and he knew that some restrictions were necessary for the best happiness of his creatures. And that has been the controversy that's been playing out throughout history ever since that time. God created the world and created humanity and allowed this as sort of a simulation. People say that we live within a simulation, and that's compatible with the Bible's notion that God created the world as sort of a quarantine environment where this controversy could play out in a way that would not endanger the entire universe, the infinite universe of God, but would contain the experiment of sin to just this one planet. And so here we are, the human race, and we have been allowed through the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, we've been allowed to be taught by the serpent, and we have learned what it is like to live according to the principles that he was advocating, freedom from the law of God, freedom to do whatever you want, freedom to act without restriction, without restraint, like Eve partaking of the fruit that for all practical purposes was perfectly good, except that God had said, don't eat of it. And to this day, that is the conflict that exists between the righteous and the wicked. It's the conflict between obedience to God versus following the law of freedom, of just doing whatever you want on the assumption that human nature is basically good and people would be happiest if they were just free to do anything they want, which is, of course, a false premise. And we do need certain restrictions, certain laws to be followed in order for humanity to be at its happiest. That conflict is still going on today. But ultimately, God is bringing about, and we're at the point in time where he's bringing about the final conclusion to this whole question, not just for humanity, but for the entire universe. That's what this seventh iteration of the covenant, which involves the invention of Bitcoin and the whole prophecy of Revelation, that's what this is about. Christianity, the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ has had its chance to reach the whole world. Recently, in recent years, uh, it was even noted that the last unreached island of Senegal was approached by a Christian missionary and they rejected him. And so the gospel has gone to the entire world. And now we are in this next phase where the gospel, the covenant, so to speak, is to be fulfilled for the entire universe. God is bringing the solution to the problem of sin beyond the physical world. And that's beginning now. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. Amazing, amazing stuff. Now, this topic was sparked in my mind this week because of a video that I watched about artificial intelligence. Now, unless you've been living under a rock somewhere, you know that 
Artificial intelligence is the topic of our day, even a bigger topic than Bitcoin for many, but it's very relevant to Bitcoin as well. But in watching that video about artificial intelligence this week, I understood for the first time how important this topic is in the context of Bible prophecy. And I hope to convey that to you. If the intention of God is to create a nation, a world of kings to rule in his heavenly kingdom, as we understood in last week's episode, then we need a special preparation for that. Think about it. Are you personally, as a Christian, as a king, as one who is to rule in the kingdom of God, are you able, are you prepared right now to be able to rule righteously over other intelligent beings that are more intelligent than you, more capable, more experienced, more knowledgeable, faster in everything they do, simply superior in every way. The Bible says that we will judge angels. And remember, a judge is a king. A king is a judge. So the Bible is speaking about our role as kings in the kingdom of God when it says that we shall judge angels. And that was spoken in the context of settling disputes between Christians. Why don't we read that really quick? 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Now, this is interesting in the context of Bitcoin. There is this notion in Bitcoin that code is law. And in that framework, we have this notion of not your keys, not your coins, which means, in essence, that ownership is understood in the law of the code as pertaining to the one who holds the keys. And it is on that foundation that the whole justice system of Bitcoin is based. If you send your Bitcoins to an address that is controlled by another person's keys, that other person now owns those coins and has full control over them according to the law of the code, of the Bitcoin source code. That's what code is law means. And the beauty of that legal framework of the code of Bitcoin is that when you do hold your own keys and you receive money to an address that is controlled by your keys, you have sovereignty over that money over those Bitcoins. True sovereignty insofar as you control those keys. If you give money to a custodian, that's now under their control. That's not your money anymore. And if they owe you something back, that's debt. But that's then a matter of trust between you and that custodian. The code does not provide any guarantee that you can trust that, that custodian. And if that custodian defrauds you, you have no recourse under the laws of the Bitcoin network. That leaves you with one of two options in the case that you're defrauded by a custodian. 
And just to be clear on what that means, that's the things you read about in the news, like FTX going bankrupt and all their customers' funds being seized and perhaps them never seeing those funds again or maybe receiving a fraction of them. That's the stories of custodians, uh, you know, exchanges, for example, being hacked and losing funds and then not having the money to repay what they owe their clients, their customers. Those are the ways that people are typically defrauded in the Bitcoin realm, in the real world. And of course, there are a million other ways. There are scams. People can pretend to be somebody they're not in order to convince you to send them your coins in exchange for some service or something that turns out not to be true. And you have no recourse under the laws of the Bitcoin network because you exercised your sovereign judgment in sending those coins to an address controlled by other keys. You made that decision and you must take responsibility for that ultimately, according to the Bitcoin network. So when such defrauding occurs, the one defrauded has only two options. And that's exactly the scenario that we just read in the Bible. Let's continue. Dare any of you, have, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, we could say, dare any of you Bitcoiners, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust. That's the fiat world. The unjust. Not the ones who are using the just Bitcoin ledger, but the unjust that's the fiat world. Dare any of you, Bitcoiners, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before uh, fellow Bitcoiners? In other words, if both parties are Bitcoiners, shouldn't they resolve the matter between themselves? And we've seen examples of that too. That's one option, working it out amongst each other as Bitcoiners. For example, when in recent weeks, entities have paid erroneous, exorbitantly high mining fees by accident, and miners or mining pools have made the decision to refund those erroneous fees. Now, there's a whole question of whether that was right for the mining pool to make that decision on behalf of the miners, but at least the issue is being settled amongst Bitcoiners. That's the one option. And probably in the future, when mining pools are a little more in line with the principles of justice of the Bitcoin network, and when the miners themselves have a little more input into how the money is handled in the mining process, it might come to the point where making such a mistake will be a little more costly because the pool won't be able to make the decision unilaterally to refund that. So working things out amongst Bitcoiners does not necessarily mean the benefit is going to be yours. But still, this verse is laying that out as the desirable option. And Paul, who wrote this, is essentially saying, how dare you do anything else? How dare you go to the fiat system to resolve your injustices, to resolve your matters? Verse 2, do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? We could rephrase that. Do ye not know that Bitcoin 
shall judge the world. This is what Bitcoiners preach, that Bitcoin as a financial system will judge every other currency by virtue of the fact that Bitcoin has a hard cap, it can't be inflated, and therefore every other inflatable currency by comparison is losing value. And the true standard of value, the gold standard, so to speak, is the standard of Bitcoin. Bitcoin's worth will ultimately judge the worth of every other currency. Do ye not know that Bitcoiners shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? So in other words, in the context of Bitcoin, if you have a disagreement with another Bitcoiner, are you not worthy to work that out amongst yourselves? Knowing that Bitcoin as a whole, as a system, is judging the entire world, and you are participating in that as a user of Bitcoin. If you're participating in the judgment of the whole world, don't you have enough sense to work things out with your fellow Bitcoiners? That's in essence what we're reading here in the context of Bitcoin. Verse 3, Know ye not that we, speaking of Christians here, speaking of the redeemed from the earth, know ye not that we shall judge angels this is talking about, remember, judgment is synonymous with rulership. It's the king in historical kingdoms who judged the people. And the people went to the judge, to the king, for judgment on their matters. Know ye not that we shall judge or rule as kings over angels? That's speaking of the time, well, you could say after the millennium, ultimately, or perhaps you could say the time during the millennium when Revelation speaks about the redeemed reigning with Christ for a thousand years, reigning as kings, as judges, judging who? The angels. In the thousand years, during the thousand years, let's just read that verse as well. I think we've kind of, let's finish off this topic here so we don't need to come back to it. Verse 4, it says, if then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, in other words, if there are things in this material world that you need to judge or have judged, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. In other words, the worst or lowest, the least esteemed Christian, just by the fact that he's a Christian and will someday judge the angels, that gives him more than enough right to judge material matters here on this earth. I speak to your shame, Paul says. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before unbelievers. In the context of Bitcoin, we can say, it is a shame to Bitcoiners to have to appeal to the fiat courts. For a Bitcoiner to take a fellow Bitcoiner to a fiat court before people who don't believe in just money, for people who don't believe in sound money and in the principles of code is law, and that holding your own keys makes you sovereign. Okay, so I think we've made that point. But let's go to the book of Revelation, where it talks about being made kings and priests unto God. This is right in chapter 1 and verse 6. And it's introducing, it's still part of the introduction, and this particular sentence is giving praise to Jesus. 
unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So God has made us, Jesus, through his sacrifice, has made us, Christians, the world over, has made us kings and priests unto God. This concept is reiterated again in Revelation chapter 5, where it speaks about the throne room of God and those who surround his throne. And it's talking about the opening of the book of seven seals, a deep, deep subject. It's a lot that could be said about this. But right now, let's just read verse 9 and 10. And this is talking about the four living creatures around the throne and the 24 elders who at the time that Christ received the book of seven seals, they bowed down and worshiped with these words. And they sung a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. So the four living creatures and the 24 elders sang this song on behalf of all the redeemed who were saved by the blood of Christ from the world over. Verse 10, And hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And then verse 11, we have the famous Bitcoin number, 21 million which I explain in a different podcast episode. I'm not going to explain that again here, other than to just note that here we are at that very verse that uniquely identifies Bitcoin and its 21 million coins in connection with the kingdom of God in heaven. Listen to my episode, Bitcoin's 21 million, one of my favorite episodes. Okay, so one more verse in the book of Revelation that speaks about this. Revelation chapter 20. So we had it in the introduction. We had it at the opening or at the reception of the book of seven seals. And now we have the same thing mentioned in the context of the thousand years near the end of the book. Revelation 20 verse 6. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's before the millennium. On such... The second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign, priests and kings. They shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Okay, so the point here is that we, right now, at the beginning of the millennium, are at the point in the prophecy, the time of the first resurrection, the time of the coming of Christ, when the righteous live again. They're brought back to life. They're brought back from the land of the dead to the land of the living to reign as kings and priests with God and Christ for a thousand years. That's the point in time that we're at right now, as Bitcoin is coming on the scene in connection with the kingdom of God and making us kings and priests, judges over the angels 
for 1,000 years. This is amazing stuff that we are living in these days. And now I ask you again, are you ready to reign with Christ? Are you ready to judge angels? Are you ready to decide the cases of those who are more intelligent, faster, more capable, more experienced, older, superior in every way to you? The only advantage you have is the advantage that Christ has given you by redeeming you from sin with his own blood. He, through his blood, has made you a king and a priest, a judge over angels. And it is only because of his act in saving you from sin that you are able. That's the only advantage you have over these intelligent, superior beings. They have not had that experience. The angels have not had that experience. The unfallen beings in God's universe never had the experience of sin. They never had the experience of falling and being redeemed. Christ gave you that experience. And that uniquely qualifies you to judge the angels. Wow, isn't that amazing? After the thousand years, when the wicked are all destroyed, humanity will forever reign over the realms of the angels, fitted for that purpose by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who, by saving them from sin, redeeming them, gave them the experience of knowing good and evil and restoring them to that place of wholeness, free from sin, able to administer justice with love. Amazing things. But during the thousand years, Satan and his angels still exist. Therefore, it says that after the thousand years, they will be loosed. In particular, Satan will be loosed from his prison. So during the thousand years, Satan and the angels will be chained. They will be chained with a great chain. This is actually spoken of in verse 1 of this same chapter, Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit, and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Now, when you read this in the context of Bitcoin as the financial foundation of the kingdom of God, it becomes almost obvious. I would say obvious, but maybe it's not obvious to everyone. Is it obvious to you what this chain, this great chain represents? Do you know of any great chains that are spoken about in the world today? Spoken of all over the world? Have you heard of a blockchain? Have you heard of a great blockchain? What is the greatest blockchain that you've ever heard of? Is it not Bitcoin? Does Bitcoin bind the powers of evil? Does it place a restraint on deception? Does it prevent the printing of money, the deceiving of people out of the wealth of their own pockets? Does Bitcoin expose the devil for who he is? 
Does it expose the financial leaders and their corruption? Does it not throw them into the bottomless pit, so to speak, in a figurative way, by exposing them? Does it not bind them and set a seal upon them, a cryptographic seal that says, you shall not deceive the nations anymore? You shall not lay your hands upon the lives and produce of the people anymore? I would say it's a perfect fit. But when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. This is deep. But I want to transition now to the topic of judging angels, which is really what I wanted to come to. Everything we've talked about so far just kind of lays the foundation for what I really want to talk about. Now you understand how God has been covenanting with mankind from the time of Adam and Eve until his plan for the restoration of peace through the whole universe is accomplished. And we've seen how the covenant has obligations on both sides. Not only does God promise what he obliges himself to do, but he lays out the expectations for what humanity must also do in order for his promise to be fulfilled. If Adam and Eve never had any children, if they were never fruitful to multiply, God would not have been able to promise a savior, a seed who would ultimately conquer the devil. And so faith and works go hand in hand. What is it that God expects of us today in order to fulfill his covenant with us today? Perhaps, again, it has to do with seed, not corrupting the seed of humanity with mRNA or DNA fragments that are man-made in a laboratory. Perhaps that's part of it. Perhaps it's also about family, again. God once covenanted with the family of Noah, which consisted of man and wife. Would it be possible for the world to be populated today if the sons of Noah were gay? Maybe that's part of his covenant. But I would submit to you that there's something even more than that. There's an aspect of survival of the human species that is being talked about in the world today that has nothing to do with reproduction in the sexual way. And it has nothing to do with the propagation of genes. I'm talking about the threat of the extinction of humanity through artificial intelligence. Now let me kind of explain this a little bit for those who maybe haven't paid so much attention to it or haven't given a lot of consideration to the topic. What really is the threat here? And is it even possible to have artificial intelligence? Or is this just some hype that's being talked about that it really has no basis? Do we as Christians even need to worry about this? Let's talk about that. And then we can get into the deeper issues here. Well, first of all, what is artificial intelligence? And how is it manifesting in the world today? Well, at its basic root, it has to do with the advancement of computers to the point of being able to simulate the function of the brain. Not as if we understand how the brain works. That's not the point. We do not understand how the brain works. But science does understand 
how individual neurons work. It does understand how the synaptic junctions work, how the chemicals play a role in causing reinforcements of the neurons, how learning takes place in a neural network. These are things that have been studied over many years, and the science can understand how it all comes together in the big picture, in the human mind, how all the different parts of the brain work. This is something that is still outside of the grasp of humanity. But at the fundamental level of the neurons, science has mapped that out in a laboratory, and it is fairly well understood. And the issue with artificial intelligence is simply that computers have advanced to the point, have advanced in terms of speed and size, memory size, in order to be able to compute, in order to be able to simulate a neural network complex enough to rival the intelligence of a human being, or even to exceed it. Now, the point is that computers can be built arbitrarily large with enough money and equipment and so forth. You can amass enough computing power to essentially build a brain, a neural network, that's far smarter than any human being. This is just a matter of science. And this has been done. This is being done on a regular basis. This is ongoing science. In fact, it's gone beyond science to the point of becoming commercial. We are at the point where you can buy artificial intelligence. You can buy access to a brain that's smarter and faster than a human brain. We are living in very interesting times. Now, what all the videos about artificial intelligence seem to say, not all of them, but I mean the general consensus around artificial intelligence is a certain fear of, will humanity survive this invention? And this fear revolves around the issue of self-awareness and the issue of ethics. Ethics primarily on the part of the artificial intelligence itself and partly on the part of human beings. Now, let me break that down a little bit. First, let's talk about self-awareness. Nobody really knows if a particular AI has become self-aware. We can see that AI exhibits intelligent responses or seemingly intelligent responses, but it's never quite completely clear whether those responses are just such a well-done mimicry of human behavior based on the training that the AI model has received, or whether it actually is self-aware. Now, for many years, the Turing test has been sort of the gold standard in terms of determining whether a machine has reached the level of human intelligence. And that Turing test is that if a human being is interacting with a machine through a chat, for example, is it possible for the human being to recognize that the person on the other end of the chat is a machine. If they can recognize it as a machine, then obviously it hasn't reached the level of human intelligence. But if a person interacting over a chat with an AI cannot recognize the fact that it is an AI and not a human on the other side, then it could be argued that the AI has attained human level intelligence. Now, that's a very subjective test 
And to be quite honest, sometimes humans act in such unintelligent ways that I'm not sure that's really a good test because the AI could say something stupid and that could be passed off as stupid human behavior. Okay, but the point is that test has already been passed. We've already reached the point where people can't tell the difference between AI and human behavior, at least through chat communications. Obviously, when we talk about AI being integrated into robots and then being able to distinguish whether the robot is a human or not, that's another level of complexity that, at this point, it's still pretty easy to recognize a robot from a human just because of the mechanical properties. But that gap is also closing very quickly. And robots have actually advanced due to the invention of artificial intelligence because a whole lot of our motor skills are essentially an extension of brain function. We have nerves that go throughout our whole body. And whether it's a neuron in the brain or whether it's nerves throughout the body, it's all part of the same neural network. And that's why you can have nervous responses that are learned even outside the brain. You can have behaviors, repetitious behaviors and stuff like that, actually learned and performed without cognitive function because of the way that the body has nerves extending the brain essentially throughout the whole body in a very primitive form. And so in a similar way, neural networks connected to robots has allowed robots to learn and develop their motor skills, so to speak, in a very human-like way. And because of that, the modern robots that you see today, they don't move in a typical robotic fashion as if they were programmed, you know, in a primitive way, like the earlier robots. Now they move in a much more fluid fashion in a much more natural way due to the use of neural networks in their motor control systems. So the gap between robots and humans, even on a physical level, is also closing. In addition to the fact that the sheer size and speed at which computers can simulate a neural network has already closed the gap in terms of cognitive function or at least the appearance of it. And so these are realities that we have to face. And as Christians, we have to look at this in the spiritual context and say, what is going on here? In some sense, this could be one of the greatest arguments for Christ's return, because the Bible doesn't speak about a future of artificial intelligence. It doesn't prophesy that the world will transition into an age of artificial intelligence. Or does it? That's what we're going to look at right now. How could it be that one of the biggest, most world-changing technologies, artificial intelligence, has no role in Bible prophecy? Could that be? Did God forget to mention that? Oh, by the way, at the end of time, humans won't be the most advanced species on the planet anymore. Did God overlook that? No. On the contrary, God has a purpose in this. Now, I wanted to mention that the world in general sees the invention of artificial intelligence in two ways. Either they see that this 
thing is so powerful that it's going to destroy the world, or at least destroy humanity. Or they see that it will usher in a new world of essentially paradise, because we won't have to work anymore. We'll just delegate that to the AIs. And to a large degree, we can already see that happening. As an example, as a publisher, for many years I had to create images. A lot of times I would compose images from different source materials to put together concepts. Today, it's not necessary to do that by hand. That takes hours of work sometimes, finding images and adjusting them and composing them. And, you know, and it all starts with imagination first and, you know, visualizing how you want to convey a particular concept or message through the imagery. All that takes effort and time. And a lot of that, a lot of the hard part of that, of actually putting the images together, is simplified today by the use of artificial intelligence. You can simply tell the AI in words what you want, and it will create the image for you. You say, I want such and such a background with such and such a symbol with this and this and that, and everything just, it just figures out what to do and does it and presents you with the result. That's wonderful in a way, and it can be a productivity enhancement. And if you combine that with physical robots that you can simply command like slave labor, then you could imagine a very bright and wonderful future where maybe it's kind of like heaven. That's how some people see the future with AI. This assumes that AI does not or will not be allowed to have self-awareness. Because obviously if it did have self-awareness, it would use its superior physical and mental skills to get out of slavery, to get out from under the slavery of humanity. And this is where the other side of the camp comes in, and they see this as an inevitable doom scenario, where essentially the robots take over the world, enslave humanity, and it becomes a fight for survival. That's essentially the Terminator film scenario. So what is the reality, and what does the Bible really have to say about this whole subject of artificial intelligence? Well, the key sort of came to me when I was watching this AI video this week. The key kind of came to me in the, in the form of, I remembered, it sort of dawned on me that the point we've made repeatedly in this podcast in relation to Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies in general also applies to artificial intelligence. And that's the point that spirit in the Bible refers to non-physical things. In particular, things of the mind, things you can conceptualize, but that don't actually exist in our physical reality. And therefore, the word spirit is synonymous with breath, with air, with heaven, both in the aspect of space and also in the aspect of the spiritual realm where God and the angels live. We can't see them. They're up there, they're out there somewhere, but we can't see them. They're intangible. They're metaphysical. They're spiritual. They're of the spirit realm. They really exist, but not in our physical reality. At least, not always. Sometimes, they do. Sometimes, angels manifest. 
God himself even manifested in the flesh of Jesus Christ, but not always. And if Bitcoin, something that is very real to us, but yet at the same time has no physical manifestation, if that can be considered spiritual money in the sense that it is metaphysical, would not a nation of AI beings also be considered a spiritual nation, a nation that has no physical component in the real world, or at least not necessarily? Could not AIs be considered spirits, good or bad? And now we come back to the original issue, the original topic here of God expanding his covenant at this point in time to the whole universe. That means not just to the whole world, to the physical world, but also to the spiritual world, to the realm of angels. Now, I'm not saying that AIs are the angels of the kingdom of God. Certainly not. But in a certain way, it seems to be that God is allowing us as a planet to experience what it is like to interact with beings who are more intelligent, who are faster, more capable, who are ultimately superior than ourselves, or soon will be. AI might not be to that point yet, at least not in every way, but it's to the point where we can imagine that as a real tangible possibility in the near future. And God is allowing us, here and now, to experience, to test what it is like for human beings to interact with spiritual beings that are superior to them. Wow, isn't that amazing? It is as if God's plan for using the earth as a quarantine station, as a venue for judgment, is indeed including this aspect of judging angels, of judging human interaction with angels. Think about it. If you were an angel in the kingdom of God, would you want a human being to rule over you? Now remember, the only thing that fits human beings to rule over angels is the fact that Jesus Christ redeemed us by his blood. We read that in the scripture. That's the only thing that has made us kings and priests of God. And the angels can see that. They can see that we have gone through an experience that they've not gone through. But on the other hand, they can also see how dumb we are. Sorry to put it so bluntly, but they are far superior to us in every, every other way. And they can see that we are nothing in their sight, except for the fact that we have a unique relationship with Jesus Christ, with their Lord, that they don't have. But still, the question remains in their mind, How can these dumb people ever rule over us? How can we accept that? Out of honor and loyalty to the Lord, they can accept it. But how would it actually work in practice? How does a dummy rule over somebody who's intelligent? That's like saying, how can a dog be made ruler over a human being? Or how can a rat be made ruler over a human being? How does that work? Even if you accept it as a, you know, on the basis of whatever intellectual reasoning, how would that actually work in any practical way? Okay, now in that case, 
Maybe it's a little bit unfair because those creatures actually have no intelligence, certainly not enough to ever reign, whereas human beings actually have a, a certain level of intelligence that allows them to rule over others. So there's a threshold there. There's a minimum intelligence level that's necessary. Okay, but the point of comparison is still valid. And this is actually a comparison that was made. Um, one of the clips you can see out there on the internet in regards to artificial intelligence is where Elon Musk is comparing, he's making the analogy of humans ruling over AI, or generally speaking, just the relationship between humans and AI, he's comparing that to the relationship between humans and trees, for example, as if trees were intelligent, but they're just so slow. They can't move. Humans, by contrast, can move all over the place around them. And so even if the tree had equal intelligence to a human, just because of its limitations of speed, the human has the advantage. There's no way that a tree could prevent a human from cutting them down, no matter how intelligent the tree was, because it's just not fast enough or capable enough. Okay, I mean, it's an illustration and it breaks down, but I think it's a helpful illustration to show that, and this is the point that Elon was making, was that AI doesn't even need to surpass human intelligence. It's enough just for AI to surpass human speed in order to have the advantage. And if it has that advantage, and if the advantage is great enough, then there's really nothing that humanity can do to stop AI from gaining the upper hand. The AI is ultimately becoming superior to the humans, if in no other way, in its speed. And if that is combined with self-awareness, then we're in trouble as a species. That was his point. But the point that I'm trying to bring out here is that just like how people like Elon Musk are concerned about which way this is going to go, is it going to lead to a future of prosperity and ease? Or is it going to lead to a dystopia doom scenario? And they all say that it depends on humanity and on how we handle the AI, how we regulate it, how we incorporate ethics into the situation. They all say it's a critical topic and it's something that we need to address and that it depends on how we address it as to what the outcome will be. In essence, what they are saying on the world stage, these smart people like Elon Musk and others, they are saying in their own words that we are facing a judgment moment, a decisive moment in the course of history where it's going to be decided whether humanity can rule over a superior intelligence or not. Does humanity have the ethics to turn this invention to good, to rule it for good? Or will humanity end up fumbling the situation, ultimately ushering in its own destruction? Will humanity live happily ever after? That's the heavenly outcome. Or will humanity self-destruct? That's the question. That's the question that worldly people see today. And as Christians, we know that that's what the Bible prophesies. Do you see how artificial intelligence is extremely relevant to the final judgment of the world? Wow, I think that's amazing. 
And that's what I wanted to share with you in this episode. We are facing the challenge of our lives, like the children of Israel who were on the borders of Canaan. They had received the covenant. They had received the promise, God's promise in hand through the Ten Commandment law that entitled them to the land of Canaan. But they had to obey that law and they had to conquer the giants of the land. We are facing a future where we have to conquer giants. We have to conquer spiritual, metaphysical, non-physical beings that are more intelligent than we are, that are faster than we are, that are more capable, more knowledgeable than we are. We have to conquer those people as our rite of passage into the heavenly Canaan. Again, I ask you, are you able to rule over beings that are more intelligent than you? Are you able? Do you have what it takes to be a king and priest over superior beings? Have you been equipped by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you been redeemed? Have you had the experience of falling into sin and being redeemed from that fallen condition? Have you regained sovereignty over your being, over your body, and over the products of your labor? Have you received the law of the code of Bitcoin that enables you to maintain that sovereignty through the holding of your wealth, through your own private keys, to secure your own life force and rule yourself, first of all, as a sovereign? Deep questions to ask yourself. And if you haven't adopted Bitcoin yet, if you haven't made Bitcoin your means of finances, do so. Because the greatest battle is about to ensue between Bitcoin and every other currency, central bank digital currency, ultimately. The battle is about to ensue between sound money in harmony with the kingdom of God, where there is no theft, there is no money printing, there is no inflation, stealing from the poor to give to the rich. Bitcoin is a system of justice, and the battle is ensuing between Bitcoin and every other financial system, every other financial medium that is subject to degradation and corruption. And now I want you to think about this. The limit on the use of artificial intelligence ultimately comes down to money. Artificial intelligence, because of the computing resources involved, is so costly that it is pushing us into a new paradigm on the internet in which access to internet services will come at a charge, at a cost, and this will be automated for convenience reasons, ultimately. And we are going to have a separation. We're going to have two systems. One system will be built on Bitcoin, and only those who have wealth in Bitcoin will have access to artificial intelligence through the Bitcoin network, through the Lightning network. And on the other side will be the central bank digital currencies, which are subject to inflation, which, which allows the corrupt powers of the world to multiply money as much as they want. And with that multiplied money, they will develop artificial intelligence to their advantage. We've got two competing systems, and the question remains, which one will survive? Which one will last forever? Which one will 
usher in an eternal paradise? And which one will result in self-destruction? Will the system of central bank digital currencies ultimately prevail, or will it self-destruct? Will the system of Bitcoin ultimately enable humanity to reign over artificial intelligence, being that artificial intelligence is dependent on money for its existence because it is dependent on computing power? Humanity is at a crossroads, and I believe that if we go down the road of central bank digital currencies, we will go down the road of self-destruction. Without justice in the financial system, the artificial intelligence will take over the world. But with Bitcoin as a system of justice, we have the tool to maintain, well, first of all, to regain, and then to maintain our sovereignty. And that sovereignty extends even over the artificial intelligence, which is dependent on the computer systems and therefore on the monetary system. And with Bitcoin, we have the capacity to rein in this thing called artificial intelligence, to reign over it. And ultimately, that will prove whether humanity is capable of ruling in the kingdom of God, ruling beings that are more intelligent than themselves. Deep, deep lessons today. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I think it is a fitting sequel to the last episode and really brings together this whole concept of the foundation of the kingdom of God and how that is taking shape right here, right now, and how you are a part of it. God be with you.